Hello, and welcome to War Council. Uh, my name is Caleb Dillon. My name is Justin Jones. And this is a podcast about 40K and things related to 40K and things that uh, interest 40K enthusiasts like ourselves. Justin, how are you doing today? Doing all right. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited. Uh, Apocalypse just came out within the last week or so, uh, and I'm, I'm excited. Our second podcast, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about... Uh, all things Apocalypse related, from the models that came out to the new rules, all that sort of stuff. I have a lot of experience with Apocalypse. Ever since it came out, we we started doing big games the year it came out five years ago. We've uh, escalated our games every year since then. Um, so they've gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, what kind of experience do you have with Apocalypse? Have, have you ever had any good games? Or um, Unfortunately, uh, while I've read some of the rules, I have not been able to get in in a game of Apocalypse, and that's mostly been because of logistics issues. Yeah, well, that's not because of model counts, because I know you've got plenty of models. Uh, I've got more Space Marines than I know what to do with. Sure, yeah, you're working on on a full chapter, I think. Yes. Nice. Uh, Okay, so logistics-wise, do you mean it's just a question of, like, getting to a place, or your stores in the area not supporting Apocalypse, or them not being big enough to support it, or...? Um, Well, up until... Relatively recently, um, the store that I used to frequent while I was still in college didn't really support Apocalypse Gaming. They'd rather put their money into uh, like Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments or whatever. And they had they supported 40K and Fantasy, but mm, that wasn't their main. Sure, uh, you know. I guess from a hobby store perspective, you have to think about the draw of Apocalypse and do you get out of it what you put into it? Like, it's a cool event, it's fun to put on, but if you're not charging, like, I guess an entry fee, or what are you really getting out of it from your gamers? Like, are they going to come in and buy product? And maybe they would. I mean, maybe they have to buy models to gear up for the Apocalypse. Right. Um, and maybe you could make that part of the entry fee if you're a store owner, like, just bring a receipt in. Or I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting way outside the box here, but... You know, I guess from a store perspective, the typical gamer, when they come in and they play a game, they may buy something in the intercession. But when you're playing an APOC game, you're talking 10, 12 hours of gaming. You know, maybe at the end of that, they're exhausted. Maybe the last thing on their mind they want to do is think about buying something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Well, um, that's fine. So it'll be, it'll be nice to hear sort of your perspective on that because, you know, me coming from a background where I have a lot of Apocalypse experience, you can certainly, you know tell me what you wish you would enjoy about it, what you look forward to enjoying about it at some point. You know, not every store can support it, I suppose, and it's just one of those things that... And they actually talk about this in the new rule book quite a bit. They talk about venues and how to find a venue and that sort of thing. And it's something that we struggled with at first. You know, we, we tried to do it in our homes, but usually the, the room and the size you need for it is, is massive, not to mention the table and terrain. Um, so that comes into a lot of how the organizer sets it up, but, um, so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Why don't we, uh, dip back just a second and let's, uh, let's, let's work on some wargaming life. So what, aside from Apocalypse, have you been up to recently, you know, in your gaming, uh, career? Like, have you been, do you have any games recently? What are you working on your workbench? Like what's going on? Uh, I've got a couple of my painted miniatures back from being painted. So I need to sit down and flock them at one point. Um, I've got a. I, I just made my first trip out to my new FLGS. Um, I'm not doing 40k and fantasy just yet out there. I want to kind of get to know some of the community out there. But I am playing Magic: The Gathering Commander out there. How did that go? Was it? Did you get in a game your first day there? Did you meet anybody? Well, in typical 
Murphy's Law fashion, I go out there the first time and nobody shows up. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that. Uh, what, what was it like the middle of a day or was it a night? Or um, I was told by one of the employees that Commander Night is on Thursdays. Thursdays starting at about 5. Uh, I get out there about a little before 5 and I wait around for about an hour because you have to realize, listeners, that I'm taking the city bus to get out there and they stop running those buses after a certain time so I have yeah. to be out of there plus if, uh, you're, if you're bringing your wargaming stuff on a bus that presents its own problems really quite uh, yeah. especially if you've got later on down the road I'll be taking my uh, battle foam case and that's going to be a lot of fun <laughs> Yeah, I mean sarcasm I, I, tags. Right, I, I I I ride a bus every day to work, so I I definitely recognize the difficulties in taking a lot of stuff to work. Yeah, or, or on a bus rather, not to work. But so, and the last thing I I've started doing, I've started playing Death Watch. Okay, so the the role playing game, the the yeah, fantasy the, flight, nice. Yeah, the one where you for those of you that aren't familiar, it's a role playing game that you get to play as Space Marines. Are you DMing that set, or GMing, or are you playing? Um, I am actually running a Space Wolf sniper. Nice, that's cool. So Death Watch is that's the faction. Now that's uh, faction's the wrong word. That's the chapter. It's kind of like sort of an equivalent um, where you have Grey Knights in there. You know, it, it, they're a special chapter. Death Watch is also a special chapter in that all the Marines selected for the Death Watch come from all the various chapters. You can have Dark Angels in there. You can have Ultramarines in there, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of like a high honor. So in your particular group, do you have like a mixture of Marine chapters? Like you said, you're a Space Wolf. Do you have someone else playing something else? Um, we've got... Well, it, it, there's some complication here. This is going to change. But at one point, our first game we had a... We had my character, the Space Wolf. We had a Blood Angel, a Dark Angel Librarian, and a Black Templar's Apothecary. Okay, so pretty good mix. Um, our GM is a little new, too. He uh, nearly TPK'd us when we oh. ran into a group of eight gene stealers. Oh, good lord. Jesus. That's, that, uh... that dropped right down on top of us. Yeah, nice. Very cool, very <laughs> dynamic, but definitely not, uh, not, not, not for the faint of heart. <laughs> no, 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 no. Did he realize how? Did he realize he had pushed a little far at that point, or was he still sort of like, uh, well, you guys should have been able to take that? Did well, those DMs that realizes when he oversteps a little. Yeah, bit? he he realized right away he screwed us up a bit. We got out of it. It's kind of funny the way we got out of it is they uh, we. Uh, uh, I think it's our, yeah, it was our Black Templar's apothecary had a flamer, and he just pointed the flamer into us and just lit everything on fire. Nice. So, Marines and Gene Steelers and all. Now, it didn't really mess with us too much, but boy, did it mess with the Steelers. Sure. Yeah, fire cleanses all. <laughs> Pretty much. So... Which, what have you been up to in your hobby? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, we actually, I actually dealt with some Steelers this weekend, too. We, um, I had some friends down. Um, so normally for Apocalypse, what we do is we get together once a year and we play a big game that we kind of uh, dubbed Golgotha. And we, we do it every year, we, and we've gotten it bigger and bigger. But this year, everyone in my group, with, my, with the exception of me and the locals here in Raleigh, uh, well, my group for Apocalypse consists of 
what we call the Raleigh group and the Richmond group because I originally came from Richmond, so I have a bunch of friends and family there. And so normally what we do is we have all the people from Richmond come down to Raleigh and we put together the game. This year, though, most of the people had stuff going on. The few people that could get down here like my brother was buying a house, so he was busy. Another guy had a business conference. But the guys who could make it, all of them had never played 6th edition. Like, they've been a year into the system, and they haven't played yet. So they're wow. still they – just, they just have not made the time to do it. And, and when you're in your 30s, you know, I, gotta, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from with that. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but life is busy. So, uh, you know, I, we decided instead of playing Apocalypse, we would just get together and do a couple games. So what we did was I sort of acted as de facto referee for the weekend. And um, they, we set up two combat patrol games, which is basically a 400-point game with certain restrictions. And so we had them play each other, and then we had them switch. Uh, so they both got in two games apiece with different opponents, um, and they, that gave them sort of a six-edition primer. Um, so that was kind of fun just to sort of enact that. And then afterwards, um, one of my friends had to leave, but the other guy had some time that evening, so we played a game of uh, uh, Space Hulk which is a great little game to play when you just have a little free time. It takes a couple hours. It's not a big deal. Setup is pretty easy. Um, so in that game in particular, um, you know, for those, I think most people know, it's a, it's a Blood Angels versus Gene Steelers game. It's all about board control. It's all about spaces. You know, it's a, it, every space you give away to a Gene Stealer is a space that, you know, he can take literally a figure from you. So I was picking off one of his figures one at a time, one at a time, until finally he just didn't have enough guys to really fight back. But what reminded me of the Flamer was that there's a heavy Flamer model in that faction in the Blood Angels group, and you can use it to block corridors, block rooms, and torch people. But unfortunately, if you torch one of your own guys, they do not survive very well in in, a, in, uh, in Space Hulk. It's, it's kind of the opposite of what you'd expect. Like, the Flamers in Space Hulk are very lethal, even the Terminators. And they kind of simplify it a little bit because it is a board game. Um, I, I guess their idea is that the Prometheum is so strong that it, it just literally eats through anything, including Terminator armor, which definitely isn't realistic in terms of the fluff. Uh, but for board for a board game, I guess it was a balance issue. Um, yeah, because tactical dreadnought armor, its original design yeah. was for working in plasma conduits. Normally, the way it works with with the Space Hulk is that when you when a gene stealer moves into a room or when he's in a room that is flamed, you roll a d6, and on a one you survive, on anything else you die. Maybe they should have treated it the opposite way for Terminators. Like if a Terminator is in the same space, on a one you you die, but on everything else you survive, or something like that, like a one in six chance that you could die but yeah. most of the time you'd live. But they, they chose not to go that way. Um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, a lot we had a lot of games, little games like that this weekend, and most of the, the stuff I've been working on my hobby bench recently, just to sort of go down the list, is I've had a few client commissions. I just finished up this uh, Eldar versus Bloodthirster diorama, uh, like an Eldar Wraith Knight diorama, which is really cool. I just put some pictures up of that on the on the Facebook page, and um, I picked up, a friend of mine brought me a Tau army he wanted painted in the traditional Tau ochre color scheme, so I I just started on that today. I, I laid down some, some core um, uh, shading. I usually start with some grayscale shading to get the basic uh, light and dark contrast going. So I started on that today, and another friend of mine from this weekend who I was gaming with brought down a really neat old-school uh, Reaver uh, Titan from the armor cast days. Which is very nice. cool. Yeah, it's really a neat model. It's uh, it's pretty dated, of course. It's pretty old. Uh, it's definitely not as nice and sophisticated as the newer ones. But it's it's basically the same scale. It's pretty much on par, and you know it, it it's in very good shape for a model that's probably fifteen twenty years old. 
Like it, it was painted one time, but I stripped it down. The paint came off really easily. Uh, and he wants me to chaos it up. So I've been spending some time like scraping off the old Imperial insignias. I'm going to put down some new chaos logos and some chaos insignias. And uh, so my goal is to get it as close to what the new Reaver looks like as possible. And we'll see, we'll see how that goes. I figure it'll take a couple weeks to get it there. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm excited. There's a lot on my bench right now. Um, I, I'm working on a couple things for Apocalypse, but I think I'm going to save that little tidbit for the, uh, for the conversion corner bit. Um, so I think without further ado, we can probably just move on and just talk right about Apocalypse. Um, so uh, I had a chance to pick up the new book. Uh, being that I, I like Apocalypse so much, I wanted to get my hands on it early. I wanted to see how the new rules played and how they worked out. And I have not had a chance to test the game yet, so I do not know exactly what, uh, you know, in terms of balance. Um, but I have had a chance to sort of look at it over and, and compare it to the old rules. And I certainly hope in a future podcast I can talk about how it plays. But more for this, I would just want to talk about sort of expectations and, and what I liked about the book and that sort of thing. Um, so I, I guess comparing it, so for those who, who don't know, and I'm sure most people do, Apocalypse is kind of the next level of 40K. It's, it's a much bigger game. It's designed to be played at, I would say, over 3,000 points, even over 5,000 points. And there really is the sky's the limit. The biggest game we've ever played, I think, is about 20,000 points aside. Uh, wow. That sort of game took, it took like eight players, and it took us the better part of, of two days. Like we start usually on a Friday night, we make it our goal to get through the first turn Friday night, and we usually you, that the first turn in our experience is always the longest, because most of your stuff is on the board turn one, um, and and after turn one you've started to lose some models, so it, in theory it goes faster, uh, but fast is very very speculative. You know, it's like a fast turn in Apocalypse is like an hour or two. It's hardly you know. Um, so anyway, so those weekends are are just full. It usually takes us about 16 to 20 hours. Um, but anyway, regardless of which, uh, so, okay, so let's talk about, uh, so for the meat of the show, we're going to actually be talking about Apocalypse, about the game itself. And this is something that I, I do have quite a bit of experience with. We've, we've played it quite a bit over the years. The biggest games we've ever played were about 20,000 points aside. And those kind of games normally took us the better part of like two days. We'd, we'd start on a Friday night, try to bang out turn one Friday night in about four or five hours. Get up the next morning, start right back where we left off with turn two, and move all the way through the day. And we'd usually wrap up by about 7 to 10 p.m. Normally by turn four or five, you can really see where the game is going. Um, but the first few turns, there's just so much carnage that it, it's just it's it's impossible to tell who's going to win. Um, and, and I guess that's a, a sort of a good segue into how they've restructured the game quite a bit. Um, so in the old rules for Apocalypse, um, a lot of it was, and, and it's hard to say that it was ever a balanced game. It's not designed to be a balanced game. It's designed to be more of a beer and pretzel style game. Um, in, in fact, there was one, there was an interview with um, Jervis where he was talking about uh, at one point in time, they considered having the Master of Disaster, which is kind of an unofficial title in the book that they say for one player a turn is allowed to call down um, like apocalyptic barrages basically so that person they call the master of disaster and it's kind of a fun little way to add some fun to the game and uh, what was nice about it was that they they joked about giving this person a, a viking helmet to sort of pass around between them and, and I liked that even though it wasn't included in the book it, it showed that they were sort of trying to make this a really fun loose style of play not as serious as a regular 40k game I, I would 
dare say never should this be a tournament of any sort. No. It's just, it's just not set up for that. It's not designed to be balanced. This is the kind of game where you could see like Lilith Hasperax running up, you know, Orc Stompa, you know, jumping off and fighting a Marine on the other side of the field. Like, it's just, it's just craziness. And um, some of the combos that people have come up with over the years when you start thinking about how to ally choices, it can be just, <laughs> just ridiculous. That's the best way to put it. It's just absurd. And absurd in a good way, in, in a way that's really fun and baffling. Um, so, but definitely not balanced, though. Um, and, and more so now, they just really, I think it's even less balanced because they did away with all of the points for all the formations. Um, so in, in APOC, what you normally do is you, you gather your troops together in these big groupings, and they call them formations. And a formation can be anything. It can be like a group of, let's say, three or five tanks. It can be a grouping of like 100 soldiers. It can be a grouping of just company commanders. They have an Eldar uh, council of the Avatar or something, or Council of Cain, that's just all of the big, um, what do they call those guys, the big lords, Phoenix lords. So there, some of these groupings are just insane, but they're fun, they're very dynamic, they're definitely the kind of thing that you, you, you read about in the fluff, and that you see on video games, and that you want to portray in a game, and so it kind of gives you that opportunity. Uh, but none of the formations have points, with the exception of the new models, the new vehicles, and the new uh, releases, all of those things do have points, of course, because they're they're basically just vehicles. Um, so what this encourages you to do is just to take anything. I mean, you can take anything from your collection, lump it together, and really just benefit from special rules. And some of those special rules might be stratagems. Some of them might be stuff like uh, outflanking or allowing you to attack from outflank. Like the Space Wolves have a formation that allow them to attack from outflank, which I thought was really cool. Um, the Tyranids have kind of something similar to like that. And I, I don't want to get into the, the specifics, but let's just suffice it to say a lot of the stratagems break core conventions and the rules in a good way. They, they designed it so that you take the basic rules and you bend them much farther than they've ever been bent before uh, for the sake of absurdity, for the sake of just craziness. And it's a lot of fun. Um, so that was one of the, the primary things I noticed in the, in the new edition of the rules and how it sort of shifted and changed. Um, of course, the new models are in there, and they're fantastic. And I think we're seeing that the, the game has gotten bigger. Literally, it's gotten taller, um, like with the new Riptide model that was huge, and then the Eldar Wraith Knight, and now the Lord of Skulls. So I feel like the game is actually getting you know, just bigger. Like, it, you know, we we're moving into a different scale of the game. Um, what, so, what do you think <clears throat> of that? Rumor of a one of the upcoming rumors for the new Space Marines Codex is that there's supposedly going to be a larger Space Marine Walker of some sort. So yeah, I, I heard think about that. right, kind of like a bigger Dreadnought or something. Yeah, some sort of combination between a Contemptor, which I don't really know a lot about Contemptor Dreadnoughts, but something like that and. Um, some other vehicle, I can't remember what the exact wording was when I saw the rumor, but um, and, and they're also releasing not a new Terminator kit, I mean not a replacement for the current Terminator kit, which is a good thing, but they're releasing, I, the rumor is they're going to, there's going to be a larger variant of Terminator. Uh, like a so, scale Terminator? Or? Well, I think it's I think it's supposed to be a different pattern of tactical dreadnought armor. Oh, nice. That's cool. Like the cataphracti yeah. uh, terminators. Right. Uh, that for Warhammer 30k. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you're correct in that we're seeing larger 
miniatures, um, the, a, a trend toward that. Sure. Um, so that was, and, and and for me that's great. I like that because I like I like bigger miniatures. One thing is they're easier to paint, <laughs> in my opinion. Two, I like I like playing with bigger miniatures. I think it makes the scale of the game look really nice because it puts it in perspective. Like if you see these little guys running around beside these massive war machines that are just humongous. I think it really it brings something it brings it evo- it sort of evokes a favor a flavor which I really enjoy, um, you know it's kind of the Pacific Rim of 40k if, if you will, <laughs> you know and it's just it's fun like I like seeing those big models and you only get to bust them out for games of apocalypse so I feel like the bigger the better you know bring all titans you know bring them you know whatever you got, um, so that was a nice change that the game is physically just getting bigger um the rules i feel like were were very simplified um and and by simplified i don't mean simplified from 40k basically it is just 40k but i mean simplified from the old version of apocalypse in the old version of apocalypse they had whole points versus structure points and then they kind of transitioned between sixth edition and apocalypse by saying that structure points were the equivalent of three whole points each and that kind of worked and they basically did that with the new rules they just simply in the new rules of apocalypse they just they went ahead and got rid of structure points. They just simply said, no, everyone has whole points. But a lot of these models have tons of whole points. Like the big phantom Eldar Walker thing has like 24 whole points. So these wow. things are just massive. And it's important to note that with the whole points, like, uh, you know, with a, with apocalypse vehicles or what they call super heavies, um, these are not vehicles that can be destroyed in one shot. Like, like well, they can be with destroyer weapons. And, and, and we'll get into that, I guess. Um, but basically, you know, it, it gives you a system of sort of measuring just how tough these things are. If something has 24 hull points, you know, I don't care how many last cannons you bury into it. It's just going to take a long time to get rid of it. Which, well, it it know. makes sense, too, because you have, let's say, a Bane Blade super heavy. Right. That has, what, nine hull points? Yeah, I think so. I mean, a Bane Blade in the fluff is what it's, it's I know it's not city-sized, but... It's big. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a big, big. vehicle. It is it's a like, big freaking tank. It's. I mean, to put it in game perspective, the footprint of one of those things is about the size of a building in 40K. So you're talking about something that in our perspective is is literally the size of a house. Um, so that's, that's a massive tank. It's not as tall as a house, of course, but the basic footprint of it is very big. Um, so, or, yeah. Or, or an Imperator-class Titan. If we're going to talk about absurd, we might as well mention the most absurd of all. They are pretty absurd. We got, those we got, are... we got to play with one of those uh, yeah, last year, and we got to yeah. I, I built one of those for a game. And it is, it, it is insane. Like It's a lot of fun, but it also is definitely a game. It, it just laughs at balance and crushes it beneath its feet. It's, yeah. Like, it doesn't... <laughs> it's a city-sized walker. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's, it's a amazing. walking castle. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, but it's one of those things that you, when you when you play that, and that was what I learned last year, that was my big lesson, is that you have to think about in terms of what are other people going to want to play against. And I learned very quickly that the Emperor Titan kind of spoils the fun for many players. Um, because it just, it, it wrecked everyone's day. Like, it, it started shooting. We had a situation where it was night fighting and it couldn't see because it was too far away. And then they did something to it so it couldn't shoot. I don't remember what it was, but they did something, some sort of a stratagem. Finally, turn three, it was able to shoot, and it opened up. And by turn four, it was over. Like, it was just, this thing just wrecked squad after squad after squad. Um, 
which is really impressive to see, <laughs> but, but it's sort of demoralizing for your opponent, which is not really what I, I like to see in Apocalypse. I like a more even game. Yeah. Um, so even, even though it's 4,000 points, there's only so much balancing you can do in a game like that. Notably, they did take the rules for all that sort of stuff down off the GW site. Uh, so I think that they're trying to revisit balance issues for those models and where to go with them from here. And, you know, they could have just taken them, left them up the way they were, changed a few things, restructured the whole points and called it a day. But they chose not to. They chose to take them all down and, and try to, I guess, fix them, which is not the worst thing they could have done. True. Um, so there's so the rules are simplified. Uh, in the older rules, they had multiple tables for everything from, you know, damaging super heavies to, you know, how your damage is applied to when the vehicle blows up, what it does. So they kind of simplified that, and they just basically have a, a, a really simple system for it now. Uh, super heavies cannot be stunned. They can't be immobilized. They can't be shaken. I think they can be immobilized, but it's more difficult. Um, uh, and they have systems in place to deal with that. Um, so I think the idea is that your super heavies and your gargantuans, you get to play with them, like as opposed to some situations where you lose your tank in one shot, they actually want you to play with your toy. Um, so it's much harder to drop them than it used to be, but the rules for governing them are, are much much more simplified. Um, in addition, I feel like they're much more lethal than they ever were before. Um, now the tanks have special rules where super heavies can literally roll over uh, they, they have the equivalent of, of a tank shock, basically. Um, yeah. what, what happens with it is, is, unlike tank shocks in normal 40k, where your squads can just move out of the way, with these tank shocks, you roll a d6, and on a 1, the squad gets away. But on like a 2 to 5, uh, like everyone in the squad takes like a strength 10 AP2 hit or something. Oh, uh, wow. It's, it's amazing. Like, and the idea is that you're just literally rolling over them and there's just no chance. Like, you're being, you know, you're underneath Godzilla's foot. There's nothing you can do. You're not going to save. Um, so there's that. And then they have something very similar to that with Gargantuans where they took the stomp from the basic rules and they modified it. And instead of having it where it used to be, this, it used to be that you stomped and you hit like every model in base contact. A lot of these super gargantuan creatures don't have bases. Like the Hierophant doesn't have a base. He comes to mind. So what they did was they gave him like three blast templates, and you scatter them around kind of the way you do uh, a barrage that's linked together, like a, a barrage. Uh, what do they call it when you have a, a squad that that shoots all templates? Uh, ordinance like an barrage. ordnance barrage, yeah. yeah. So they basically give him that, but it represents your foot, uh, sort of stomping on your opponents. And I don't remember the exact damage, but I think you roll a d6, and I think much like the tank, on a two to five, the models are just simply removed. Squish. Yeah. So it's 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 really cool. It, so it gives you you know pause if you're going to have one of your big characters run up and fight this thing, like you know Abaddon or, Lil or Lilith. Hesperax or something like that, you're going to have to second guess it because now if you don't kill it very, very quickly and it gets to stomp, it can simply just remove you from play, which is, I think, great because I think it kind of should be that way. Um, yeah. While I like the idea of a special character killing something like this in one shot, yeah, you know, it removes some of the fun from the game. You want to be able to continue yeah. to use these pieces. I mean, as badass as Abaddon the Despoiler is or Captain brother Captain Darnath Lysander, yeah. or God help us, Kaldor Drago. Right. Um, if they get stepped on by a Titan, yeah, that's pretty much game. Now, they do have some rules in place to help with that. Like, for example, um, 
now the way you score in the game is they have well first off they have more missions they used to only have one or two different missions and you you bifurcated the table you cut it in half from corner to corner and then you measure it out i don't remember like a, it wasn't it wasn't a 24 inch battle zone it was like a 12 inch battle zone so you measured out your battle zone and then you, you deployed on the other side of the line and you bid for time and they went they, they sort of simplified that entire process now they have multiple missions each one's a little different most of them are objective-based, and you score objectives not at the end of every turn, but at the end of every break. And by break, they mean, like, you literally take a break. Like, they say, like, for example, if, you, if you're playing an all-day game, if you take a break for, let's say, lunch and dinner, then after those breaks, that's when objectives are scored. Um, so they that's kind cool. of Yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. They, it, it kind of encourages you to, to take breaks and to not, not really think about it in terms of turns, but think about it in terms of your day. Yeah. Um, and then those points can also be spent after your break to to use on certain um, like you can spend strategy points to bring back units. Um, there's some restrictions on it, but for the most part, you can bring back just about anything. They have a limitation; it can't have more than I think 15 structure points, and it can't be like a unique character. But you can have a home rule that says if your unique character dies, you could bring him back because he isn't really dead. I mean, there's no reason that you can't do that. Um, just because they, they suggest not doing it, it, you know, one of the things that I think GW is big on is find what works for your group and go with that. Right, which is a philosophy I can I can definitely respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that covers kind of the big ones. They've also got, there's a few small rules that are sort of in there, like um, now they have a scenario that you roll for every time, and it kind of gives you the feel of the big game. They call them, like, I think, unnatural disasters or something like that. And the idea is that there's these five different events or so that unfold during the game, and you roll on a table every... every I think it's a turn, or maybe it's every break. But you roll on these tables, and they, uh, they give you the feel of, like, a zombie apocalypse. One of the tables is a zombie apocalypse. So <laughs> on that particular table, if you roll that event table... You know, figures can come back, and the zombie units can appear, and that sort of thing. And there's one table that's like, I think, a cataclysmic event, like meteors are falling. So every turn, you roll on this table, and literally, a large blast templates fall and, and just decimate things. And um, so they give you this feel of this cataclysmic, apocalyptic time period. I think one of them is like a radiation, either rupturing, like a what do you call it, like a power plant breaks down, and radiation is everywhere, or I think the entire battlefield counts as dangerous or something like in that scenario. Or Oh, wow. It, it's crazy. It, it's, it, I may be overstepping that a little bit, but, there's, but basically these scenarios are all very lethal, is, is, the, is, is a good way to put it. They're, they're designed to sort of, you know, you're harvesting troops, like you're, you're mowing them down. So it, I think one of the goals with this version of Apocalypse was to move the game faster. And I think their, their way to do that was to kill more stuff. Like if you have less figures to move you play faster because you have less things to deal with um so i think all of these tables are kind of in that vein and they kind of called that a little bit in that they gave you um you know the ability to bring back some units so that was kind of fun yeah a lot of the formations also do that they'll have special rules like the imperial guard have a formation the necrons have a formation the here all these different armies have formations that are kind of like the equivalent of like an endless horde sort of thing where yeah. you can bring units back um so it's kind of fun um, and of course, stratagems are back. Um, they they got rid of some of the stratagems that were a little overwhelming. Um, like they used to have this stratagem that was some sort of 
generator or something that wouldn't allow you to deep strike within 36 inches of it, which was a major problem because every time, because people, of course, would take that almost ubiquitously. Everyone would take it. And then it stopped you from being able to deep strike into their territory. Um, you could risk it, but if you failed, they got to put you on, you know, wherever they wanted. Right. And that place may be 70 or 80 inches down the board. Um, and so at that point, literally, if you're a foot slogging guy, like let's say a Terminator, that's it. You know, you're not going to do much else that game. So they got rid of that thing, but they kept a lot of classics like the Vortex Grenades, and they, they kind of went through the book and just sort of pulled everything out of Apocalypse Reload that they really liked, and they pulled a lot of stuff out of the main rule book. Uh, so in the main rule book now, there are you know maybe 10 or 15 stratagems that are for everybody, but most yeah. of them are divided into race. Like Most of them are like, these are the Orc ones, these are the Imperial Guard ones, these are the Space Wolf ones. So everyone has unique ones, and they're all very flavorful. Um, and some of them are familiar, and some of them are new. Um, but none of them, I think, are game-changing, but all of them are, are pretty good. Um, so it's, okay. it's definitely neat. Um, all right. Well, I've I've been going rambling on for a while. What, what do you do? You do you want to put your two cents in? Like, what? What do you? I am unfortunately unlike yourself. I have not had any experience with Apocalypse. I saw briefly the start of a game. Somebody had a little Scout Titan that he had. It was a very very. Like he'd scratch uh, built it or something. Yeah, it wasn't even you know it was like plastic card and some other things he had used. Um, and he slapped this thing together. I remember it had two turbo lasers on it. Um, and I, I didn't stick around that whole uh, through the whole game. I just stuck around for part of it. I guess that, as I recall, they were having a hard time getting things started. Um, but having said that, I really want to do an apocalypse game uh, because I have the models for it. Um, and this new FLGS I, I've started going to, um, they will have the occasional Apocalypse game, and you know, I, I guess from what I hear, the community is really good over there, um, you know, and I, I've mentioned wanting to bring my Deathwing company. Sure. Um, because I, I've got a ton of Terminators. Yeah. And, you know, the, but there's also something else that occurs to me about Apocalypse Battles, two, two things that occur to me. One, uh, you know, this system works great with the Horus Heresy stuff. In fact, there's provisions for Apocalypse-level games in uh, the Horus Heresy supplements. I mean, you can field Primarchs in Apocalypse games. You know, if you know, of course, if you have the the Horus Heresy rules, sure. You know, um, but the other thing about Apocalypse that occurs to me is that it also allows you to recreate some pivotal moments in 40k fluff history. You know, like yeah. the battle of the siege of the Imperial Palace to do the big one during the Horus Heresy, or uh, the battle for some of the battles on Balhot during the Gaunt's Ghosts. Well, it wasn't they. They were not the Ghost section weren't there, but it's a big battle during the Sabbat Crusades, you know, or Armageddon, or the battles on Cadia, or you know, so on and so forth. And Apocalypse allows you to do that because let's face it, if you say, okay, I want to recreate the battle of 
for the oligarchy gate on Balhot. Uh, again, I'm again referencing a a Gaunt's Ghosts sure. battle, a part of that that history. It's not going to be very exciting if you're playing a two thousand point game on both. You know. Yeah, um, and that's that's something that I, you know they talk about in the Apocalypse Rulebook. They talk about uh, you know you can definitely do themed games. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to do, let's say, you know, Space Marines invading the Imperial Palace, or Chaos Space Marines invading the Imperial Palace, I think that's great. And I've seen some really cool themed games where you gather together just certain groups of players and limit the models. And it, it can be a really cool event, you know, for the fluff. And um, you can also do, like, tables. You can do, like, for example, to use your, your scenario, you could have a massive space battle going on or a massive battle on the front line, and then you could have a smaller board that's a much more intimate battle that might be just, like, in this scenario, Horus stalking through the halls of the palace, you know, killing, you know, guards as he goes until he finally, finally makes it into the inner sanctum where, you know, you've developed rules for an emperor or you've developed rules for Sanguinus or whoever. Right. Um, and, and I think that's the beauty of, of Apocalypse um, for those of us out there who are really into the fluff, and I'm one of them. Yeah, sure. Um, we can tinker and recreate those pivotal moments um, and, and enjoy those pivotal moments, you know, again, provided everybody is on board with that and, you know, everybody brings the right things, you know. Um, but, yeah, that, that's generally my view of Apocalypse, you know, the potential for it. And I, I actually do have one model that was introduced in the older edition of Apocalypse. I actually have a Land Raider Ares sitting over here. Nice. Uh, that's the um, Dark Angels vehicle. I don't know if they brought that back in the new rulebook, but it was an old data sheet. And basically, it's a Land Raider with a Demolisher cannon on it and a big siege shield. Yeah, I, I didn't see it, but I, that doesn't necessarily mean you can't field it. I mean, you, you touched right. on something earlier talking about you know scratch-built models, and one of the things they, they talk about in Apocalypse, and they've always done it, is they've talked about this idea of playing what you want to play. And just because something doesn't exist in the rules doesn't mean you can't build it, doesn't mean you can't field it. It just means that you have to clear it with your opponents kind of so that everyone's on the same page and everyone is playing kind of in the same game. You want to make sure that people aren't playing a different game than you're playing. and So if you wanted to bring a Land Raider Ares, I don't have... I, if me, personally, I, I see no problem with that. I, I think you should be allowed to bring it. And they certainly have published plenty of rules for all these different models over the years. I think modifying... you know, It's not like the points of the game has shifted drastically over the last year or two. Right. Um, so, I mean, if, if like, for example, they didn't, put the, they didn't put the Land Raider Terminus in the Apocalypse Rulebook. Here's a good example. The Terminus in the old rules was about 300 points. It was a lot. Um, I think it probably still exists in one of the Apocalypse books from Forge World, like the Reload or the Reload 2 or whatever it is. So I think the rules are still out there. I think all you really have to do is just modify them a little bit. Instead of giving it like, you know, maybe change the points up a little bit, take a look at the other basic rules. Um, but yeah, there's absolutely nothing wrong with fielding something like that. I, I encourage it in my group. 
Um, That's because the Terminus is rumored to be a new vanilla Space Marines vehicle in the regular Codex. And that's pretty cool. But there's lots of other stuff that we'll definitely never see see the inside of a Codex, I don't think, that, you know, uh, was not put into the new book. Like, for example, some of the stuff that I've heard, they put some stuff in the Collector's Edition as opposed to the regular rulebook. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's a Tower of Skulls model, which I've always really liked, and I actually want to I want to work on one, and I'm, I'll talk about that more in the conversion corner. But regardless of which, they didn't put it in the base rules. They put it in the collector's edition, which I didn't like. That kind of yeah. frustrated me as a player because I, I didn't want to spend $250 on a book, but I do want the rules. you know. So what's going to happen if someone's going to put it up on some sort of share site and then I'm going to get this weird looking PDF? And that's, that's fine, but I, I just don't understand why GW yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't support that across their line. Um, it, it makes it feel like this was an exclusive thing, and I, I don't yeah. like that idea. I don't. It's already an exclusive hobby as it is in terms of pricing. You know, they already exclude some of the population based on just they price you out, basically. Right. Um, all right. Well, let's shift gears for a minute. I think we've we've covered quite a bit of Apocalypse today. We could clearly we could talk for hours about it, but we're, we have a limited time frame that we work within. Right. But let's talk a little bit. Uh, you had touched on the Primarchs, and so for today's pop quiz, uh, and for those of you that don't know, we often do a pop quiz or a rules uh, rules of engagement segment where we just talk about some sort of rule that we want to cover or renew or some sort of fluff point that we want to chit-chat about. Uh, and you're going to handle today's pop quiz. So, Justin, what is on the agenda? Well, uh, last last time, or last episode, you did a rules pop quiz. Yeah. So, because I'm more of a fluff person, you know, I, I thought it might be kind of cool if I did something fluffy-based. Yeah, sure. So, your challenge, sir... Is to name as many of the founding chapters or legions of the Adeptus Astartes in under a minute. Okay. Uh, and I, now we've talked about this. I did not study for this because I felt like it would only be fair to use my core knowledge for this. And and I'll be honest, I I don't. <laughs> I think this will be a poor showing because uh, I I am more of a rules. I'm more of a player than a fluffer. Well, let me put it to you that way. Uh, I like the books, but I, I don't spend a great deal of time reading them. There's other things I'm interested in, you know, for all of the heresy that is. Okay, so do you have a timer, or should I use my? Uh, I've got a stopwatch setting here. You like probably to... better use your your stopwatch because it'll be more reliable than anything I can do. Well, why don't you just say when to go, and I will hit the I'll hit the clock. Okay, on three. All right. Three, two, one, go. All right. Uh, okay. How about uh, Ultramarines, Blood Angels? Yes. yes. Space Wolves? Yes. Uh, uh, Dark Angels? Yes. Black Templars? No. No. <laughs> uh, how about um, Iron Warriors? Yes. Iron Hands? Yes. Uh, one of the yellow guys. Uh, I don't know. Crimson fists? No, no. <laughs> How about uh, Emperor's Children? Correct. Uh, Thousand Sons? Correct. Uh, what are the Plague Marines called? Oh, they're not actually called Plague Marines, are they? No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, how about Night Lords? Yes. Was that one of them? Uh, Iron Eagles? No. I'm just making them up now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Grey Knights? Were they a chapter? No. 
No, I didn't think so. Uh, I feel like there should be lamenters. Uh, no, sir. Probably not. Uh, I can't think of what those yellow ones are called. They're uh, you I'm... name their two successors. I'll tell you that now. Dang. Uh... <sighs> and now I'm kind of stuck on it. Oh crap! All right, that's fine. How'd I do? Uh, you said Ultramarines, Dark Angels, Blood Angels, Iron Hands, Iron Warriors. With that, that's five. Uh, did, I think I said you said Emperor's Children. I did because Jeremy plays them, so that's always on my mind. Um, I said Thousand Sons. That's one. Ultramarines, Blood Angels, Emperor's Children. That's four, six for the other two that you said. Uh, seven. The Space Wolves. Uh, you missed. Uh, the Alpha Legion. I was trying to remember their name, and uh, I was like Sons of Horus, and I was like, "No, that's not right." That's actually that would have been correct. Damn, uh, Sons, of, <laughs> Sons of Horus. Uh, they're the only Legion to have changed their names three times to- or two different times. They were the Luna Wolves. Yeah. Then they became the Sons of Horus, and then after the Horus Heresy, they became the Black Legion. So if you would have said Luna Wolves or or Sons of Horus, I would have given it to you. For that. Yeah. So. You were trying to think of the Death Guard. Yeah, that's what it was. And the other group you were trying to think of when I said you named their two successors, you were trying to think of the Imperial Fists. You know, I I, I remembered it was something with Fist, but when I said Iron Fist, I was like, I just got off the tangent and I could not get back on it. So, So, all right, so I got less than 10, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's about what I figured I'd do, give or take. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so... So I guess if people out there are interested, put, give yourselves a stopwatch, time yourselves for a minute, and see if you do better. And uh, maybe comment uh, on the Facebook page and let us know how you did, uh, whether you beat me in the fluff challenge or not. And if you did, kudos to you, because and you know more about it than I do. You will get bonus points for me if you can name, if you can tell me the name uh, that the Space Wolves actually go by in the Horus Heresy fluff. They, they go by a different name. And I don't even I don't even know how to begin to postulate a guess at that. So I'll just let I'll let our listeners come up with that and tell me on the Facebook page, and then I'll be surprised. Um, okay, so let's move on to a precise shot, which is our segment where we take a very close look at one thing. Normally, whether it be a group or uh, a modeler or a sculptor, we we really don't define what the precise shot is, but it's just it's a close up of something. Um, so this week I thought in, in line with um, the Lord of Skulls, because he is by far the, the figure I am probably most excited about uh, in, in the new book. Not necessarily because you know he's great, I think he's fine, he's not bad, uh, but because of the kit is so modular, there are so many conversion opportunities there. So it got me really excited about Skulls and all things Skull related. So I, I remembered that um, uh, I had come across these a while back and I had to sort of dig them up. Um, so a lot of people use aquarium terrain for their for terrain in a pinch. It's it's not as cheap as people think it is. Aquarium terrain has actually gotten more expensive over the years, um, but it is cheaper than buying something from say, like a, a big model company, like you know buying like a battlefield in the box for fifty sixty bucks. Like you can get a very decent piece of terrain online, usually through a third party provider like Amazon, for fairly cheap. So there's a, a range of models called Skull Mountain, which are really fun. They're kind of a fantasy ish range and what they are is they're caves that um you can put into inside of a fish tank is what they're designed to do 
uh, and your fish can, you know, float in, float out of them. Uh, but they have them in three different sizes. They have sort of a, a small cave, a larger mid-sized cave, which is, the small cave is maybe about six inches, seven inches. The mid-sized cave is maybe eight or nine. And the tall one is probably about 15 inches. It's, it's really good size. It's, it's damn near a mountain of itself. And they're all completely covered in these nice, corn-like skulls, and they've got places where you can move models inside of them. You can't put models on them, uh, but I will provide, I found a really decent site where they're very cheap, and you can get all three of them for, I think, less than 50 bucks with shipping. Nice. Uh, and normally they retail for, like, the big one retails, I think, for, like, $45 on its own. So you have to really shop around a little bit, but I, I did that homework for for our listening public, and I found what I consider to be the best deal on them out there. And I think if you buy them all at the same time, your order qualifies for free shipping, which is even better. Um, so if you're looking to add a few pieces of terrain to your collection, uh, I, I don't necessarily know the company. Like, it's not, they're not a miniature design company. So don't think that you can use them for everything. But they definitely have some cool pieces of terrain. And if you're just getting started and if you have like $100 for terrain, a quick, quick trip down to your local like Petco shop, I think can mean the difference between playing or not. Um, if you're looking to do a little bit and you don't have any terrain, this can be a nice mid-ground sort of solution for that. Better than using uh, Tupperware. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I know. That's how the Space Marines, that's how they, the Chaos Space Marines, that's how they can stay fresh for 10,000 years, Tupperware. But Nice. I actually, I use it for um, mold making now. I use it in my terrain. I actually use it kind of as a negative impression to create molds. But we'll talk more about that in another podcast. But Tupperware has many uses for the for the able-bodied converter. I'll say that. Okay. Um, all right. So let's move on to our bits box, which is kind of our conversion corner, where we talk about um, converted models and uh, things that we're working on. Now, it's, it's important, I feel like, to know, because this is our first conversion corner, that the policies on conversion are, are very iffy with GW. Like, GW doesn't officially allow you to convert models. Well, they, they, they kind of do. They kind of don't. Like, they don't want you to combine your bits with third-party provider bits. So whenever I do a kit bash or a model, I always like to try to use as many GW bits as I can, um, when and where I can, because I, I try to play nice. I try to play by the rules. I don't necessarily agree with them that they have the right to even say that. But what I will say is that, because their argument on it is, is that it's, it's when you... When you do what I do, which is you build something with the purpose of selling it in mind, it, it, it stops becoming a hobby. It starts becoming a business. But their problem is, is that they feel like when you're converting for money, it, they frown on that. So I don't really call it converting anymore. I call it kit bashing. I call it transfiguration. Um, and and my, in my mind, you know, converting is... When you're converting something, you're taking something and you're physically changing the properties of it into something else like water to ice. For me, it doesn't really work that way. Converting is you're glorifying the piece. You're trying to exalt it in some way. You're trying to draw attention to it. You're not really shifting it. You're just, you're just making it shine in a way that it doesn't normally do. You're, you want it to be a centerpiece for your army. And like, I don't really think of that as conversion. Like the World Eater's Dreadnought you built for me a while yeah, absolutely. back. absolutely. Or this Eldar piece I did. Um, yeah. And, and so in keeping with that, on my website, you don't find anywhere on there where we say conversion. We say get bash, we say transfiguration, because we're trying to redefine the way we think of it. And that starts with me, the owner. It starts with my culture and my mentality. So I had to get into that mentality that I don't convert anymore. I kit bash, I transfigure, and that's what I do. Um, so that being said, um, definitely the kit that's on my mind right now is the Lord of Skulls. 
um, especially for you with your with your world eaters army, he's a perfect piece to to add in there. Because um, he, because he's a corn model, he fits very well with the world eaters. I mean, I mean, basically, there's several chapters in there that you know, it's kind of one of those things that blood that what do they call it the uh, the corn berserkers. So corn berserkers aren't really a chapter; they're an elite type of troop. So right. you can have a berserk a corn army, but it's not really. It's kind of like saying I have a thousand suns army or a plague plague marine army. It's not really. Really, what you have is you have uh, like you know thousand suns are an exception to that rule because. You know, they they kind of have they were a chapter, but there was no chapter of noise marines. There was no chapter of you know uh, 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 blood um, berserkers. berserkers. Yeah, there was no berserker chapter. So you know those guys are. It's kind of a weird situation. Um, so anyway, so for people like you that have a world eaters army, he's a perfect addition to it because he's he's Cornish, he's fun. You could easily insert a few insignias on there. I don't know why they didn't have a few conversion bits like that in the box, like why they didn't have like a few bits you could swap in and out to show some insignias. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, he's a fun model. Um, he's a lot of fun. But one of the things people don't like about him is the track system. I actually like the look of that model because I think they took the old model and they emulated it really well and they revitalized it and they brought new life to it. And, and I think whoever designed it did a really great job. Um, it was an old Epic model, wasn't it? Original? Yeah, it, it was originally, it was an Epic model. And I feel like they just, they took that model and they just, I feel like they captured the spirit of it. In the same way that with like the Hierophant, you know, the, the Tyranid Hierophant looks really different than the old Tyranid epic version of it, but they, they captured the right feel. Like, it feels right for that particular cast and the way they designed it. Like, he's this large, looming thing. His lungs are all gang... His limbs are very gangly. Uh, his cannons are, are just massive. But they took it and they just kind of brought it into the 20th century. Like, the aesthetic has changed since that model was first designed, so they had to update it, and I, I felt like they did a really good job. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little more modularity in the kit. I would have liked to have seen like most kits, certainly like the Necron Tesseract slash Obelisk kit, that kit can go three different ways. You know, you can have the Tesseract vault, you can have the Obelisk, you can also have the Catan on his own. Um, so you can use him in regular games, you can also use him in Apocalypse game as an empowered Catan. So I felt like they had tons of options there, and I don't know why they just didn't take an extra step or two to make this kit, the, the Corn Berserker, or the Corn Lord Skulls kit that way. Um, so I kind of took it on myself to sort of do it. Um, everyone wanted to put legs on this guy, so finding legs was the kick. Uh, a lot of people talked about the Dreamforge variation, where you take a Dreamforge Leviathan model, put the legs on him, but the legs are just too big. So, and they're they're coming out with a 15 millimeter scale version of the model they have now, which will be great, but it's months away. So me, me being me, I wanted to do this now. You know, like I want to I want to play with it right now. So. Uh, what I found was I found an old Iron Monger from the original Iron Man movie release, and his legs were perfect. So I, I cut him off at the hips, and I took the other corn model and cut him off at the hips too, and I joined them at the hip, not in a dirty way. And, and so, they, <laughs> so I blended them together, and I threw a whole bunch of chains and skulls on there, and you know it sounds rough right now, but it actually came out really good. There's enough pieces uh, left over from the old model that I had some pieces to sort of blend it together. And the legs from the Ironmonger are really nice and bulky, which I think worked really well for this piece. And um, so that'll be done in the next day or so, and I'll put some pictures about of that up on the website, or up on the Facebook page, too. 
Uh, and then I had the track system in the back. Uh, and originally I wanted to do a Tower of Skulls with it, but the problem is, is that that tank chassis is just too, too small. It, it's really about the size of a Land Raider. It's just not big enough. Um, the Bane Blade is, is much bigger and would have been a better fit, but I didn't want to blow all that money on two major kits in the same weekend because I'd already bought the rule book and the templates and all that was expensive. Um, so the, t the track kit, the back half of it comes with these large tanks that are sort of like, uh, I guess, like blood tanks that are designed to hold blood that is siphoned into this, this guy as he fights. So I took all of those and I shifted them around so they're facing forward, and I drilled out a hole on, on each side, of, on one side of them. So I basically turned them into these large cannons, is what I did. And um, there was this old model in Epic called the Doom Blaster, um, which is basically like, uh, what's the Imperial vehicle that has the big mortar on the back? It, it like lobs. Uh, the Griffin? I think it might be the Griffin. So it's kind of like that, in that it has four of these giant, I think they call them Doom Mortars or something. Um, and so it's basically this big tank vehicle with these, with these big four tanks that I'm using to turn into mortars. And then I, I took some of the extra bits and sort of blended them in. And uh, it, it came out, I thought, pretty, pretty well. Um, I think some people won't like it as much because it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, plugging a solution, you know, with the original kit. I, I didn't really use anything. But the good news is I used everything in the kit. I didn't really go outside of it. So it was a cost-effective way to build this model. Um, there are rules for it out there. Um, I actually found the rules online. Unlike the regular GW uh, data faxes, this one for some reason is still up on their website. It's really hard to find. You can't find it from the links. You have to go through the back door. You have to know the exact link to go to. But someone published a link on, on Google and I found the link and uh, I'll, I'll publish the, the link on the Facebook page so that you can find the rules for it. And save a copy if you do get it so that you don't lose them again. But the rules are actually pretty pretty good. Um, it, it's a cool model. It's just got these four big mortars, but it's perfect for Apocalypse play. And uh, it, I felt like it was a good way to use the rest of the kit without wasting it. So it came out really well. The only thing I'll say about the kit that I didn't like was, the, was that most of the time GW tanks are very sturdy. They have a complete 360 chassis. It goes all the way around underneath. They even have like bulkheads inside of the tank to support it this thing has none of that like the underside is just hollow and if you were to push hard enough you could crack it like an egg oh wow uh, yeah it's just they didn't support it they, they 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 went with a very modular design instead so that the tank treads can go either way it can go under it it can go on the sides of it and it's not a bad idea but they needed a sprue just in there to help support it um like, what you see when you look at the model is you see this large dozer blade on the front, which looks great, but if you were to look behind the dozer blade, it's just a big hollow shell. There's nothing back there. There's no bulkheads. There's no support. There's no it's nothing. kind of unusual. It is. Their, yeah. it, it's definitely a break from the norm, um, which is why I didn't even think about it. When I, when I first saw it, I was like, this doesn't really make any sense. This, I, I, I was baffled enough that I, I thought, surely I'm missing a bit, but... You know, it's not there. Like, they just went a different way with it. Um, so, I don't know. It was a well-designed kit. It's, it's interestingly designed. I like it a lot, but I do feel like they could have supported it a little bit better underneath. But, you know, anyway, that being said, um, it was a lot of fun to convert and build, and I'll have pictures up on the Facebook page, and then once that's done, I'll, uh, I'll, probably, I'll probably end up selling it, like most of my stuff. So, it'll probably be up for sale. Very nice. Um, all right. 
So we'll move on to Overwatch. And uh, this week, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, 40K in the mainstream. And we wanted to... So Overwatch, I guess, is our, our place to talk about rumors. It's our place to talk about gossip. And just what, what have we heard down the pipeline? What's trending, I guess, in 40K? And what's trending right now is that people have been talking about this for a while. And we might have touched on this in our last podcast about GW going for sale. I guess is the nice way to put it. Yeah. A lot of guys in the community are, are, are financial analysts, and they've had some time to think about it and talk about it. And, and it, they, they think that GW is going up for sale. Um, do you agree with that, or do you think that's true, or do you think it's just hearsay? Um, I've heard that before. I, I've heard this particular rumor before, and it was several years ago. And... I'm at the point now where until it actually happens, I'm going to take it with several grains of salt. Um, but if they, I, I'm a little worried if they do, if they do go up for sale, I'm a little worried about a, who would buy games workshop and B, what is it going to mean for us? The, the hobbyists. So yeah, right, well let's, let's touch on that. Who do you think would buy them? And I, I know who I think is going to buy. I know who the rumor is, but honestly, I have no idea. Uh, well, the, the rumor is Hasbro. Um, now these are the same guys that bought uh, Watsy. Um, Did Coast? Right, well, Wizards of the Coast. So, so I don't know if they bought them or they're, but they're in league with them. They're in, in league's the wrong word. I, I, I don't know exactly what their association with is on, but Hasbro is a toy making company. Um, these guys design, you know, action figures, that sort of thing. You've probably played with many of their toys if you grew up playing with toys. So that's the rumors that they're going to, they're being sold to a company like Hasbro, um, which, you know, I, it makes sense to me. Like basically it is, a, it is a game full of models and toys. So why not sell to a company that specializes in that? Um, I don't think that's the worst possible person that could buy it. Um, but I guess to play the devil's advocate, my fear might be that they try to dumb the game down to like a yes. more hero clicksy level. And, and if, if that's the case, to sort of make it more mainstream, if that's the case, then the game will go in a completely opposite direction than I'm interested in playing. Yeah. I, I've said to some of my friends, if the game goes mainstream, I'm out of the hobby. Yeah, sure. Um, it's it's I, funny how often people say I'm out of the hobby. <laughs> I, I, I'm coming off as... I realize I'm going to be coming off here as an elitist, but on the other hand, I don't want to play a game that has been stripped of all of its of, of its core of what makes it what it is. Especially a game like Fantasy, Warhammer Fantasy, which, let's be honest here, has a whole other level of complexity than 40K does. And to see both of those games lose... Uh, that tactical and strategic sophistication, um, it, it wouldn't be the same hobby. And sure. that the other thing too is that I don't want to see, I, you know, as as badly as the rules could be screwed up. The thing that scares me even more, well, scare is a is is a bit of an exaggeration, but what concerns me even more is what will happen to the fluff. Do you think the fluff would shift like? Like I don't know, maybe they make it a more PC version or something. Or yes, I, right. I think it would. Um, 
I think they would try to take some of the grim dark out because and some of the the shades of gray that make the 40k universe so interesting and because Hasbro does own wizards just so you know okay so that's that uh, was the connection I was yeah that they do own them and I don't know if it was if if it's because Hasbro's a toy company or not but I really do not like the campaign worlds in like say Dungeons and Dragons or whatever because they are you know it, because they are more kid friendly and I that's what I'm afraid would happen here is that they try to make the 40k universe more kid because let's be honest here there is some crazy shit in the 40k universe you know like Slanesh. Yeah, I mean it's a game full of demons and devils and aliens and and you know you know that sort of stuff. It's not it's not a game that you know it, it's a dark flavored game. It's a it's a it's a horror horrific environment, war torn space, it, and that flavor I like. But no, it's definitely not a kid friendly game. I, I would no. agree. In spite of what GW would like to say, it's really not. Well, to play the devil's advocate, uh, not that I don't agree with you, but to play the devil's advocate, what about the fact that kids these days, like younger kids, let's say 12, 14-year-olds, are playing video games like, um, like I don't know, Call of Duty and Modern Warcraft or Modern Warfare. And those games are pretty bloody. They're pretty gory. Um, True. The, the story in those games ha- has evolved. I don't play Call of Duty, so I don't really know what the story is, but... I think it's safe to say across the board that that people demand more narrative in their video games now than they used to. Um, so maybe 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 the kids could adjust to it, or maybe they would be prepared for it. Maybe we have prepared them through our video games. Uh, uh, there's a world of difference between an action movie esque narrative, like say in Modern Warfare, where okay. you have somebody getting shot, which is horrific. It is. Um, I'm a military historian, folks, so I can go on and on and on about the horrors of battle. But there's a world of difference between that and, say, Slanesh, the Dark Prince of Pleasure, and some of the things that, you know, the the implications of being, say, a Slaneshi worshiper, you know, the excesses. uh, Like there's a novel, Farseer. Uh, I wouldn't say it gets racy, but the implications are there. You know, some of the, uh, you know, just the twisted things that, you know, especially when we're talking about chaos, you know, because we are talking about chaos, but, you know, just some of the things that are there that are going on uh, aren't exactly kid-friendly. Uh, they they yeah. are more mature. Sure, that's true. Um And I kind of, we kind of saw this transition in D&D when they went from third... 3.5? When they went from 3.5 to 4th, um, it kind of took on this very, uh, I don't know, less refined, I guess, is maybe one way to put it, or yeah. just a simpler version of the game. Like, for example, they created this system called Minions, where you literally have these guys who run around with the big bad guys that have one hit point each or something, but they have access to powerful spells. And, and, and so it's designed that you can run into a room and slaughter dozens of these guys. Um but they also have a chance to hurt you. In terms of game balance, not bad. I think it's an interesting prospect. It, it certainly is, is is creative, but it's not the, really the game I want to play. Like I, I like games that are much darker, much grimmer, 
that have much more realistic connotations. Some of the games like we play, you know, have, you know, like we don't sh we don't shy away from aspects of play like murder, you know, intrigue, you know, sex. It, it just depends on where the game takes us. If the game takes us in that direction, we go there. Right. Um, you know, and, and it's not like what some what everyone would like to, you know. I don't know. It's just one of those things that you play the game that interests you, and as you get older, your interests shift. So when I was a teenager, I probably was into like you know Call of Duty scenarios or whatever, where it was just shoot 'em up, bang bang, and I, that was that was satisfactory. But as I get older, it's just not anymore. I need I need more. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, evolution of your sophistication factor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that's yeah. how I am. You know, yeah. I I don't I like I like ambiguity. And, so. To circle yeah. back around a little bit, then, so if so, one of our fears is if GW were to be bought, that they would simplify the game in terms of like going for a younger market. Um, let's shift away from that for a second. What about in terms of financial? Do you think this might make the game cheaper? I mean, the Hasbro is a big company. You know, they're marketing. If they're marketing to a younger audience, or they're marketing to, uh, let, let's just break this down for a second. Like, the bigger your company, the more you can import. The more you can import, the cheaper you can get product for. The cheaper you can get product for, the cheaper you can manufacture product for. So it goes to reason that if the company is bought by a bigger company that can buy materials for less, then yeah. the game should get cheaper. So that would be, I guess, one unexpected perk. But then again, I've never heard of a game getting bought out and going cheaper. <laughs> like, if anything, they get more expensive usually. Like, you're not going to buy a, a premium product like, like 40K or Fantasy and then, you know, I right, guess make it less. You, you know. have to make your investment. Well, you, the, the, the two possibilities to making back your investment would be, which is what they normally do, unfortunately, would be just to not make it any cheaper. You know, or if they had a glimmer of intelligence, you know, maybe run a two or three month sale because you're going to get sell more if people pay less. I know if you, if somebody said, okay, we're, we'll knock 50% off of boxes of terminators. <laughs> I'm there, man. Sure. You know, I'll buy three or four boxes of those. And terminators to be fair, used to actually be half of what they are. Now you used to be able to buy a box of terminators for 25 bucks. So yeah, it's they've, ridiculous. They've, they've literally doubled. Um, yeah, but no, I agree. The game is much more expensive than it used to be. And, and it definitely is, is an, un, it's an unattractive fact of the game, which I'm not happy with, but yeah. You know, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think I could swallow it if, and I, I'm not trying to divert here into something, okay. but I think, I, I think I could swallow Terminators being as expensive as they are if they, if the kit, the the sprues, if there were more sprues, you know, you didn't have to pay another 50, say, for assault Terminators, if all of it were in the same box. You know, yeah, I, I agree. I, I like when there's modularity to the kits. I like when you have, I like these kits that double as other things. And I thought they were a good investment on GW's part when they had, like, when the Necron line came out, almost every kit doubled. It was something else, and it gives you a lot of version opportunity bits and a lot of stuff to play with, which for me is great. It's, it's what I enjoy. Um, but you, know, you also saw, like, squads in boxes that, as opposed to singled-out models. Like, the thing of blisters is not as prevalent as it used to be. Right. Um, like blisters, they still have blisters, but they're normally predominantly either fine cast or or or, or, or like right. a single plastic HQ choice. They're rarely like rarely do you see like a troop in a blister now, as opposed right. to the way it used to be when specialty troops were in blisters. It's just um, just like the the Bane blade, the the new super heavy kit for Apocalypse. Yeah. that's brilliant that it's, they put 
very all much all that in there. Yeah. But then on the flip side of that coin, the Tau Codex just came out about three or four months ago, or maybe six months ago, I don't know, but it came out a while ago. And um, stuff like the Broadsides, for example, not a very big model. The Broadside is not a huge model. It fits on a 60 mil, uh, but so do, like, for example, Juggernauts and Thunderwolves. And those come in boxes of three for, like, 50 bucks, 55 bucks. Yeah. The Broadside is, like, 65, I think, on his own. Or 55 on his own, and he's just one figure, which makes no sense to me. Like, no. le- like just in terms of like plastic, it's less plastic. Once you've already designed it, it can't be more to manufacture it. It's vacuum formed. Like, it can't physically cost more to manufacture that than it does something else. So the only reason to charge that is because it's a premium model. People need it more. It's want, you know, it's what do you call it? Supply and demand. Right. Like they were like, hey, broadsides are pretty good. We should charge a lot for those, which, you know, is is borderline unethical, I guess. You know, in terms of it's, like your target audience. Yeah, it's it's definitely there's a sleaze factor here. And it's not like they're like a company that's like holding back food or medicine. I mean, it's not like we can push the envelope too far. But they are providing. At this point, if, if we're calling 40K a drug, which I, I'll, I'll be okay with that. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, if we're calling 40K a drug and I want to fix, like, they're try- they've upped the rates. Like, now, the, you know, it, it, they've, they've, they've adjusted how, how it's priced to a point that it is very difficult. And for someone like me, I've seen my commissions slack off the last couple of years. And it, it definitely could be that, you know, like a guy contacted me the other day, wanted me to quote an army. I quoted an army to him. And the parts alone, like the base model costs for the Army, were so high. And I was like, look, in order to do this, you'll have to provide me with a deposit for, for the models. I don't need a deposit for painting. I don't need a deposit for anything else. But I, I'll need a deposit for the parts. And I think that was so high that it dissuaded them. So I'm, I, I think I'm losing clients just on the basis of the game is, is pricing people out. Um, right. So, okay. So overall, if, if GW is indeed selling... We see no good side here. We're having yeah, we're having too pessimists seeing, here. We're having trouble seeing a good side. I, I yeah. guess I'll take the devil's advocate stance that maybe the game gets cheaper, or it it should get cheaper. I would like to see it get cheaper. If it gets bought out by Hasbro and it gets cheaper, but it keeps its dark flair, that would be the perfect combination. But yes, I, I would. I'd be all on board for that. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, okay. So is there anything else we wanted to cover this week? I think that that just about there, wraps it up. There was one thing in my show notes yeah. uh, that I talked about. I, I sent it to you at one point. There, I was talking about that study. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think with that study, you're talking about the, the, the Wargamer study? Yes. I, yeah. I just wanted to briefly mention that. Sure. Well, um, I, I think that it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, what's happened is this guy, and you, can, you why don't you tell it? Why don't you, why don't you briefly outline it? And by briefly, I mean just, just give the high points. Yeah, the, the, the general, the, the, it was a survey put out a while back, and it was put up on Bell of Lost Souls. And I'm assuming that most of you guys are familiar with Bell of Lost Souls. If not, it's the site you go to get game, you know, news on various tabletop wargaming. Right. Um, but they put up a, a, a survey, and basically the idea was to see, to, to try to verify or, or to, to reveal various, you know, statistical behavioral patterns for us wargamers. A very academic, you know, a very academic approach to wargaming to see, you know, are we, you know, like some of the, the, the the things that they wanted to find out, this guy wanted to find out, you know, are 
is it true that war gamers are generally less acquainted with cleanliness with hygiene than, than we ought to be or uh our you know what what are our political views or, yeah. or what are or are our um uh, you know our our income margins and so on and so forth. It, just, it's, just... it's definitely a neat idea for a survey. Um, I like that he broke it into four parts, and I can definitely understand you being an academic. You're the appeal in this for you, I, I think. For yes. Sure. Um, I think what I'd love to see is, is we can devote a whole podcast to that because yes. being a four part survey. So why don't we just we'll we'll go ahead and say yeah. that one of our next podcasts, if not the next one, will be dedicated to that. So uh, our, okay. our listeners can look forward to that. I'll give the summary. It, the, the summary is simply this, as one of my friends would say, don't generalize. And that's basically what this survey says. Nice. Um, so, okay. So we'll, we'll explore why we should not generalize and why war gamers are not who we thought they were right. uh, uh, based on that. And we'll, we'll review it. And we'll have links in the show notes for that episode. Um, all right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for this week. So for the next episode, uh, our listeners can tune in for what will probably be a four-part breakdown of that survey. And I look forward to that. And uh, Justin, I think that just about finishes it up. So until next time, guys. Put your, put your minis, minis where your, your mouth, mouth is. is. Take care. <laughs>